Andrew Wilkinson under fire. Every party has some dissenting voices, and we saw that overnight. How Lori Throness has thrown the Liberal campaign off course. Stabbed in Strathcona and left for eight hours. It was bloody. The latest incident that has some residents calling for the Red Cross. And a new COVID complication for kids. Some of them will look very unwell, have difficulty breathing, look pale. The rare syndrome affecting children and why parents shouldn't panic. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Chris is off tonight. Just eight days before the election and the B.C. Liberal leader is doing some major damage control. Andrew Wilkinson dealing with new controversies involving his candidates on the heels of Lori Throness's resignation yesterday. And as Richard Zussman reports, even Wilkinson's own party brass are calling his leadership into question. This is Andrew Wilkinson from B.C. Liberals. Campaign in crisis. Mr. Thronus's comments are totally inappropriate and totally unacceptable. With the precious few days left on the campaign trail, Liberal leader Andrew Wilkinson forced to answer questions about longtime Liberal Lori Thronus resigning after comparing free contraception to eugenics. He's no longer a BC Liberal candidate. It's up to the people of Chilliwack, Kent, to decide who they want to vote for. On Friday, Thronus breaking his silence. Going to social media, you will notice the BC Liberal logo still present to say he will continue to actively campaign and sit as an independent if he happens to win. As he is no longer a candidate, he no longer has access to BC Liberal Party resources, including uh, logos, funding, support. But this is about more than just one candidate. Lorraine Brett, the Liberal in New Westminster, forced to defend a tweet from June that was seen as transphobic. And Margaret Koontz, the candidate in Langley East, is opposed to rainbow crosswalks in her community. If Mr. Thronus is inappropriate, as I believe he is, what about the other anti-LGBTQ candidates that are on the Liberal ballot? Wilkinson also losing control amongst supporters. A post on Thursday night from the party's membership chair, Nicole Paul, saying Wilkinson took far too long to do something about Thronus and Wilkinson's values don't ally with hers. The minority parliament also forced the party straight into a leadership race back in 2018 before fully assessing the fallout of the Christy Clark era. I'm not sure that the party um, had the opportunity to do the reevaluation or soul searching that it needed to. And, and I think what we're seeing um, you know, right now is, is a reflection of that. All of this while a new Angus Reid Institute poll suggests Wilkinson is far less appealing than his opponents. 54% find Horgan appealing, 46% of voters find Sonia Furstenau appealing, and just 24% like Wilkinson. An uphill battle for a campaign heading downhill without any breaks. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. Well, the NDP leader was campaigning in Maple Ridge and Pitt Meadows today. John Horgan pushing his plans to make life more affordable. Horgan spoke with some residents about the NDP policies they say have helped them with the cost of education, childcare, and more. Horgan is promising changes ahead that will help a family of four save an average of $3,400 a year with cost-cutting measures. Driving down ICBC costs will have a significant impact on families, and we continue to add up, and you, and you tote it up, and it's a significant saving. Uh, free transit for kids under 12. If you're, if you're taking uh, your family into town and you're hopping on the SkyTrain, or here, if you're hopping on the West Coast Express, that's significant savings over time. Uh, we're confident that uh, on average, there's gonna be significant savings for families, uh, not just this year, but in years for going forward.
And Green Party leader Sonia Firstineau was in Victoria to provide more details on her party's platform. Firstineau says the Greens will make significant improvements to the social safety net, as well as shine a light on the tourism sector, which has been struggling during the pandemic. And she is doubling down on the Greens' message to protect the environment. I'm not uh, spending my time focused on the challenges that uh, other parties are facing right now. I'm really uh, quite laser focused on uh, where we are at and what we can do to win and earn the trust of British Columbians in this last week of the election. All right, Keith Baldry joins us from Victoria now with more on what we can expect in the final week of the campaign. Mm -hmm. And BC politics really never disappoints, Keith. <laughs> Certainly never does. Certainly during an election campaign, Sophie. Again, election campaign, the likes of which we've never been through before because there's really no campaign. And that makes it harder for Andrew Wilkinson to gain ground here. As you saw in Richard's story, that Angus Reid poll, by my count, is the 12th consecutive poll since just a few days before the election campaign began that continues to give the NDP a double-digit lead. It's been years since we saw that in the campaign. So it's going to be interesting to see how Wilkinson changes his strategy, or if he does change his strategy in the home stretch. Will he continue to visit ridings he hopes to pick up? from the NDP, or is it a different strategy that realizes victory is not in sight and merely means hanging on to the writings they already have to avoid a worst-case scenario defeat? So where he goes in the coming days tells me what strategy that is. Mm -hmm. If he goes to NDP writings, uh, he thinks he's going to win them. But if he just sticks to liberal ones, uh, that means he's, it's a whole strategy rather than one mm -hmm. that wants to take seats from the other guys. And then what would the strategy be for the other two party leaders? Play it safe if you're John Horgan. Don't make any mistakes. Uh, you don't have to be very bold. Sonia, first to know, again, not looking to pick up a lot of seats here. You saw she was in Victoria today. They pull very well in Victoria, Beacon Hill. Uh, Carol James isn't running again. She's going to, I think, stick to Vancouver Island. This is where the, green, uh, the Greens are strongest and where they have their two seats. She wants to hold those two seats. If she wins one more, mm -hmm. that's simply gravy for the Greens. It's crunch time now, isn't it? Yep. All right. Thanks, Keith. Turning now to COVID-19 in our province, we have 155 new confirmed cases of the virus today, and the total case number in BC has now risen to 11,184. Sadly, there is one new death to report, bringing that total to 251. 72 people are in hospital, 26 of them requiring treatment in the ICU. 9,387 people are considered recovered, leaving us with just over 1,500 active cases and 3,713 people in isolation. Well, for the second time in less than a month, Vancouver police say someone attacked in Strathcona Park waited alone for hours before help was finally called. Rumina Dea has more from one of the witnesses who found the latest victim and reaction from those in and around the encampment. The injured man was, was right here, wrapped up in, I think it was a sleeping bag or some sort of blanket. David Lane, one of several good Samaritans first on scene, Lane applying pressure to the victim's stab wounds. I saw a large uh, puncture wound on his shoulder and uh, a serious uh, injury on his head. And uh, from what he was saying, there were more serious injuries on his arms and legs. Vancouver police believe the 46-year-old victim was stabbed in a tent in Strathcona Park around midnight. Eight hours pass before the victim is discovered on the edge of the encampment. Before paramedics or police invo were involved, eight hours had gone by. I mean, how, how would 
you like it if your family member was left for eight hours suffer- suffering. It's, it's not right. We at Camp KP know nothing other than what we've read in the police uh, media release. We find um, any violence really disturbing. It's the second time in weeks. Another man, brutally assaulted, found lying on the ground in the tent city. No one called 911 for almost 12 hours, say police. These incidents are becoming regular. It's a public safety crisis, says the Strathcona Residents Association. A recent shooting, chainsaw incident, a loaded semi-automatic rifle, etc., etc. We need immediate emergency action. Um, and, you know, I, I, I want to see the Red Cross come in, if need be, because clearly um, the government is unable to do their jobs. In this latest disturbing incident, police say two suspects have been arrested. It's not particularly unusual to see people lying on the, on the sidewalk around here. The victim in critical but stable condition, thanks to Lane and the others who jumped in to help. Romina Dea, Global News. Well, for the first time since John Britton pleaded guilty to methodically executing four of his former neighbors, we're hearing from the families of his victims and his ex-wife. Jules Knox has their reaction to the former Penticton city engineer's sentence and how they're reflecting on the senseless loss. Given a life sentence with no chance of parole for 25 years, 69-year-old John Britton is expected to spend the rest of his life behind bars. You know what? That's what I figured. That's what I figured was going to happen. And it's, it's okay. My, my, my husband won't be brought back, so what can I say? Should have been a lot more. During a murderous rampage in Penticton in April 2019, Britton shot Rudy Winter, Susan and Barry Wanch, and Darlene Nippelberg. It's been a living hell. It's been awful for this. It's been horrible. <laughs> In court Thursday morning, Britton stood to address the families of his murder victims, tearfully choking out words of apology. I'm not sure whether I'm ready to accept it yet. I don't know. I, I, I don't know how sincere it was. It certainly looked sincere when he was saying it, but I don't know if I can accept it just yet. Court heard that at the time of the crime, Britton was still close with his ex-wife Catherine, who had a series of ongoing grievances against her neighbors. They became Britton's victims when he snapped. Kathy Britton releasing a statement through her lawyer saying Britton's actions not only destroyed the lives of the families of the victims, but her life too. She says she cannot fathom how he could ever believe that in taking these lives, he was somehow helping her. What has it done to my family? It's made us all extremely angry and upset and short with people. It is, it's devastated us. It has absolutely devastated us. Family members of the murder victims are relieved court is over, but say nothing will ever fill the gaping holes in their hearts. It's been trying, very trying, but it's over now, so don't have to think about it much. Just think about who we killed. Jules Knox, Global News. An expensive slide stolen from a Burnaby playground has been found in someone's backyard. The slide was stolen from Suncrest Elementary School back in September. Some people might thank me. Some West Enders might say no thank you. The man who 
lit a fire under Vancouver and started what will become one of the city's biggest events. That's still to come on the news hour tonight. But first, an update to a story we have been following since June. Vancouver police continue to investigate how the Delta police handled an assault complaint involving the chief's wife. But we are learning more about that probe tonight. Catherine Urquhart has the latest. Sergeant Beltej Dillon is a well-known former Mountie who now works for the Combined Forces Special Enforcement Unit. Sergeant Sarah Swallow is a member of the Delta Police Department. Global News has learned that both are being investigated by the Office of the Police Complaints Commission for possible misconduct under the Police Act. It's assault. That head with the hose, they turn the hose on. The OPCC probe concerns how a high-profile case was handled after Delta Police Chief Neil Dubord's wife Lorraine was accused of assaulting Kieran Sidhu. The Surrey resident said a rising tide forced her to climb the rocks in front of the Dubord home and touch their fence. She went and got her hose and sprayed me. A criminal investigation by Surrey RCMP resulted in charges being recommended against Lorraine Dubord, but instead she was given alternative measures. Sidhu says she has never been advised of what those measures are. The OPCC's probe into how this case was handled is being conducted by Vancouver Police and is expected to conclude in the next few months. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. Now, a hair-raising confrontation in the South Okanagan involving two barbers and some shocking racial comments. Darian Matassafung reports. Being new in this country, that, that this, is, this is stepping on toes. An Okanagan barber found himself on the receiving end of racially charged comments when he was confronted by his competition. Sergi caught the incident on video. Why you come other town? I live here. How long you live here? How long have I lived here? Mm-hmm. What do you mean? I live in a Soyuz. So what? Why don't you I open? You have a barbershop in Oliver. Why would you bother coming here? Why would you do that? Sergeet, a South Asian man who's lived in Canada for eight years, opened his newest barbershop in a Soyuz at the beginning of the month. Less than three days later, Suzanne Gerard, who owns a nearby barbershop, paid him a visit. If, if that was me next door, there's no way you'd be open here. No way. Sergi was confronted with a lecture and some pointed comments about his ethnicity. Okay, let me explain to you this way. That's like me going to India and, and being a new guest in the country and then totally disrespecting your people and not caring um, about what other people thought. Sergi says the shocking encounter prompted him to emotionally withdraw, even closing his shop for a few days. I'm really upset for two, three days. Yeah. When confronted about her behavior and language, Gerard insists she's not a racist, but remains disappointed his barbershop was granted a license so close to hers, only a block away in the South Okanagan town. It's great that they issued him a license. Um, you know, I mean, of course, it's a free country, um, but not so close. It's just bad taste. It's unprofessional and it's just disrespect on every level from everyone. Sergeet has since reopened and is moving forward with his business plan. Yeah, don't worry for haters. Hard work, then you grow. So you're not worried? You're not leaving? Yeah, no, no. Why stay here? Why are you leaving? Hard work, then don't worry for haters. Darian Matasafung, Global News, Asus. Up next, biofuel under fire. We are not clear-cutting an old-growth forest. 
A B.C. company taking heat over its latest wood pellet project. Also ahead, Battleground Surrey, where political fortunes could swing in the provincial election. Emergency crews are on scene to a crash here in New West. It's got Brunette completely closed in both directions between East Columbia and Braid. In celebration of Set for Life Scratch and Win's 20th anniversary, every ticket is getting a second chance to win. Visit setforlife.ca for details, 19 plus to play. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One, high above a crash in New Westminster. Environmentalists are raising red flags about proposed old-growth logging near Prince George. As Paul Johnson reports, they say the trees are being cut down to service an industry that is supposed to be using waste wood. Hiking through the forest recently near Prince George, conservationists stumbled upon this. Discovered that there is actually an area where a pellet company has a license to harvest for pellets. What tipped them off was the red flagging tape that's usually the sign of an imminent logging operation, which is common up here. What disturbed them, though, was that the company that got the provincial license to cut the forest is Pacific Bioenergy, a Prince George company that grinds wood into pellets to be burned for power overseas. While the industry isn't new in BC, traditionally it's used wood waste generated from other logging operations. But in this case, many of the trees will be logged for the express purpose of grinding them into pellets. From our perspective, we don't think that's a very good use of old growth forest. We are not clear cutting an old growth forest uh, and we do not clear cut as a general practice. John Sterling is the CEO of Pacific Bioenergy. He disagrees with their characterization of that forest as being old growth and says they plan to leave a third of the trees standing, sell the best logs to sawmills, and make pellets with the other third. As a company, we're trying to be innovative and take a different approach, and that includes being the primary harvester for this area. Well, they may disagree about the designation of old growth, no one disputes that decades of industrial logging in the area have left only fragments of the original forest left. This is one of the last areas left where they have not logged. Don Wilkins has had trap lines in the area for more than 30 years and says plans to leave a third of the trees is better than nothing, but he'd prefer Pacific Bioenergy go back to finding wood from existing cuts. Because it's an old growth, what is the 30% they're going to leave? Well, it's going to be the 30% they don't want. Paul Johnson, Global News. BC's fastest growing city is also expected to be at the center of a lot of drama come election night. Surrey and White Rock are divided into nine ridings, and three of those are seen as swing ridings, where the party's promises on policing, extending SkyTrain, and building new hospitals could prove to be the difference. Nadia Stewart has more on Battleground Surrey. There are 32 candidates vying for one of the nine seats in the Surrey-White Rock area. And while there may be some new names on the ballot, what matters to voters here remains the same. We're not getting our fair share of infrastructure. We need to see that. Former Liberal MLA turned City Councillor Brenda Locke says Surrey and other cities south of the Fraser are feeling neglected, particularly when it comes to transportation. 
SkyTrain infrastructure right the way through to Langley is critical to the voter here. So too is an improvement on the portable situation. The district started the 2019 school year with 361 portables, and it remains to be seen whether the NDP's promise to eliminate 350 portables by 2023 is a promise they can keep. There's also that promise about the hospital. One lock says people here will have to see to believe. They feel like they've been pulled and tugged on the hospital quite a bit, so they are uh, looking at that with a jaundiced eye for sure. But Locke believes it could come down to policing. If you drive around Surrey, you'll see there's more keep the RCMP in Surrey signs than there is all the candidate signs put together. Kwantlen University political sciences professor Shinder Perwal says dragging the municipal police debate into the provincial election will have limited impact, especially for the Liberals, who are banking on a campaign promise of a referendum to woo Surrey voters. There is a strong lobby on behalf of RCMP carrying out signatures, but can they deliver that vote? But it's doubtful because it's not really the key issue for people to vote on. Then there is the question of whether or not people will actually vote. It won't be easy motivating pandemic-weary residents. When election night does roll around, keep an eye on Surrey Cloverdale. It's one the Liberals are fighting to hold on to. Nadia Stark, Global News. Still to come, the rare illness affecting kids. I wouldn't be surprised if there are more cases over the course of the winter and the spring. What is Miss C and how worried should parents be? Also ahead, from symphony to celebration, what sparked the idea for Vancouver's biggest summer festival? In a year like no other, our province is called to the polls. Join Global News for the most comprehensive election day coverage. All the races, all the results, starting at 7 p.m. Following the news hour on Decision BC. Still over this crash in New Westminster where Burnett is blocked between Columbia and Braid with a detour in effect. It's especially busy for traffic trying to ac exit from Highway 1. Today's Lotto 649 jackpot is an estimated $8 million plus an additional guaranteed $1 million prize. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One, high above a crash in New Westminster. The skies over English Bay have lit up with fireworks every summer, except, of course, this past summer. The fireworks festival that had a couple of names that attracted millions over the years has become a major attraction for the city. Squire Barnes now with how it all began in 1990. Okay, it's an obvious line, but the 1990s started in Vancouver with a bang. Actually, a lot of bangs, because 1990 was the first year of what was then known as the Symphony of Fire. A three-country fireworks competition at English Bay, an idea imported from Montreal by Raymond Greenwood. It was an offshoot of the Expo celebrations in Montreal. We, I saw that event there, and then I came back to Vancouver with my wife and said, let's do it in Vancouver. The idea was loved except for one thing. Its sponsor was Benson and Hedges Tobacco. The doctors and people against smoking were definitely against it. 
and they made a lot of noise and we had to go to the parks board many times to get it approved. The very first night also caused consternation because more people showed up than they thought would. It caused massive traffic jams in the West End. The buses on Davis Street were actually jammed. People were walking on top of them. He was having a good time. No, it was you. No, it was, he you. was on the bus. He was on the bus. It was a great success, but it definitely uh, got the politicians and the city hall staff all quite concerned. One other thing about 1990, the first year, and every year after that, it was free to watch, which some thought it shouldn't be. There was an interest in making people pay, and there was an interest in actual fact of moving it to Canada Place, somewhere over there, or even out to Abbotsford, because in Montreal and Toronto, it was a paid event. Just like Seinfeld reruns, we have our own 90s creation that's still going strong, bringing in hundreds of thousands to English Bay year after year. You hear stories every year about you know, generations of families coming down to the same spot that they had been in year after year after year uh, to, see, to see the fireworks. Uh, kind of, you know, I think, makes us who are, who are on the board and, and others quite, uh, quite proud of what we've been able to accomplish over time. So this is your gift to Vancouver. That's right, my, my gift to Vancouver. Some people might thank me, some West Enders might say no thank you. In Health Matters tonight, doctors say parents should not be alarmed about the province's first case of multi-system inflammatory syndrome, or MIS-C, in a child under the age of five. Erin MacArthur has more on what you need to know about this extremely rare condition. There have been suspected cases, 16 kids under investigation, but this week, BC health officials announcing the first confirmed case of multi-inflammatory syndrome in children, or MIS-C. It's an immune response that happens in the body in a small proportion of children. The syndrome first came to light in wake of the first wave of COVID-19. Kids were getting sick, not with COVID symptoms, but with something else often weeks after any initial exposure to the virus. BC pediatric specialists are monitoring the situation closely. I wouldn't be surprised if there are more cases over the course of the winter and the spring, but I don't think we're going to see a huge number unless the number of cases of COVID goes up dramatically. It's still the very small proportion of children that get COVID end up getting Miss C down the road. Doctors are urging parents to watch out for a fever which lasts more than three days. Vomiting diarrhea, stomach pain, as well as rashes and swelling of the feet and hands. Vascular issues like fast heartbeats and rapid breathing are also present. A confirmed case is somebody who has those, that syndrome um, in a child that also tests positive either by the NAT test, the, the nasal pharyngeal test, or by a serology test. And that's been more common in the cases that we've seen around the world. Even with a rise in the number of kids getting COVID, the health community is confident the risk of Miss C is low. This is a very rare condition so far in BC and even amongst those with COVID. So to date in BC, there have been just over a thousand children with COVID and we've only had one case of Miss C. If parents suspect Miss C, they are being urged to contact their physician and Children's Hospital. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. A shake-up in the lion's den. Ed Hervey's surprising announcement still to come. And just ahead, the day the snow fell, 
and just kept falling, remembering the blizzard of 96. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. All right, time to check our weather forecast with meteorologist Christy Gordon. Oh, it's cold, it's miserable. Mm -hmm. Yes. But at least it's not snowing, or no, not here anyway. No, but it was. We saw a light dusting in some parts of the province this morning, that's for sure. Uh, we were hoping for a bit of a clearing, though, Friday afternoon. A bit of a bust in the forecast. The fog rolled in, and this system didn't drop far enough south. It is now, and we are still hoping for some breaks of blue sky. We, at the very least, will see dry conditions for our Saturday. That chance of rain staying low, it looks like, right through until tomorrow evening. So it does ramp up tomorrow evening, likely out around dinner time out but then drops off quickly in the morning hours on Sunday. So it looks like during the days, both Saturday and Sunday, we'll see mostly dry conditions, so not too bad at all. And when that rain pushes in overnight, we'll likely just see 10 to 12 millimeters, so not too much at all. Here's a look at that system. So lingering cloud cover tomorrow morning. Parts of Vancouver Island will see some sunshine, but quickly that system rolls on shore. Vancouver Island, you can expect the rain to develop in the afternoon. Metro Vancouver should be dry, but cloudy in the afternoon, and then it shifts into our region around dinner time. But I want you to note this snowfall. Yes, we're certainly expecting snowfall over the higher mountain passes that Saturday into Sunday morning. Temperatures have plummeted right across the province. So look at this. BC Peace River tonight down to minus 17 with the wind chill and not warming up above the freezing mark tomorrow. In Prince George you're expecting about one degree tomorrow afternoon. Uh, so below seasonal across many regions including us. So only warming up to about 12 degrees. And again, I am expecting dry conditions until about the uh, dinner time hour tomorrow and that takes us into Sunday morning. Sunday, though, for the most part, is also looking dry. All right, I'll leave you with your central window's weather window, which is nice. We had a lot of rainbow shots in the last little while. Thank you to Jessica for this one in Black Creek. Now, before I let you go, we have been looking back at the top stories of the 1990s, and for those who lived in the South Coast, the biggest weather event really stands out. It's hard to forget, yes? Some call it the blizzard of 96, others a Christmas snowstorm of 96. Either way, let me take you back. December was already a cold and snowy month with three to four times more snow compared to average. But to everyone's surprise, the worst had yet to come. On December 29th, right in the middle of the holiday season, a snowstorm unlike any had seen before buried the region in record-breaking snow. 65 centimeters of snow fell in Victoria in one day. That's five times the monthly average and the most amount of snow the city has ever seen in 24 hours. The city came to a complete standstill as cars and homes were covered in more than two feet of snow overnight. This is a photo of Keith Baldry's daughters. Yes, so cute, right after the storm. And for days afterwards, the sidewalks remained buried. Uh, pedestrians had to share the roads with vehicles and there was plenty of snow for the kids to play with. Now in Vancouver, they had a record-breaking 41 centimeters of snow. No. Highway 1 was shut down, the airport was closed, and transit was paralyzed. Even a Canucks game was cancelled. And then out in the Fraser Valley, the snowstorm actually lasted for two days. 81 centimeters of snow fell during that time period. Fierce winds and blowing snow stranded motorists for kilometers. Some were actually stuck in their vehicles for 17 hours. Thankfully, there were some homes along the highway that actually took in some stranded travelers. And one family we had reports of took in a hundred people in one night. Into one home? Into one home. I don't even know how you do that. I know. So I lived in Victoria during the blizzard of 96, as we called it. I was moving. I scheduled a move 
for that uh, time period. Perfect. Yeah, I did actually have a van, but I couldn't get it like <laughs> I anywhere through the parking lot to, of my apartment building. So it just sat there for a while, and my move took, I think, about a week in the end. I can imagine. And I was stuck in Las Vegas. You oh. were? We were supposed to fly home, and then we got to the airport, our luggage is, you know, all taken care of. It's like, oh, no, you can't go. There's no airport. Mm-hmm. Huh? What happened to my city? <laughs> so, well, back to the right. casino we went. That's not terrible, Squire. No, it's like you could go home to a blizzard, or you can stay in the desert. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And continue to have fun. Yeah. Anyway. Well, some changes at the top. Yes. Alliance. Uh, yeah, and this was not expected, and it wasn't... Uh, a decision above him. BC Lions GM Ed Hervey resigned on his own today. It surprised everyone, including head coach Rick Kemp. Definitely unexpected. Um, wishing Ed the best. Hervey only got two playing seasons on the job because, of course, this season was cancelled. And later, it's our favorite thing about Friday. Satellite debris is still to come. Surprises just keep coming, Squire. Yep. Although, uh, well, I don't think this one has anything well, to do no. with COVID. The but 2020 surprises. Well, you're right. 2020. Yeah, this has been a bad year. And to think we celebrated it when it came along. <laughs> Thanks well, for that, we've 2020. Learned, we've learned that lesson. Yeah. The uh, BC Mind Lions. Saying. I know. 2021, we're not saying anything about you <laughs> until you prove us wrong. Uh, the uh, BC Lions have lost an entire season because of COVID-19. And now they've lost their general manager. Ed Hervey surprised everyone at Lions headquarters today by quitting for what he called personal reasons. Ed Hervey's two seasons with the Lions were mostly forgettable. But in fairness to Hervey, he was just laying the groundwork for what he was hoping to be a much brighter future. Under Hervey, the Lions went 14-22, and 22, missing the playoffs in 2019 when Hervey took a chance on first-time head coach Devon Claybrooks. That was a disaster. The Lions went 5-13 and 13 and Claybrooks was duly fired. His replacement, Rick Campbell, has yet to coach a game here, but he's known Hervey for many years and feels it is a loss for the organization. He's a real caring guy. He, he cares about it and he's, I, the thing I like about Ed is it's, he just wants to win and um, so that's why I felt fortunate to come here. With the CFL's future still cloudy, the Lions won't replace Hervey right away. For now, Campbell and Director of Football Operations Neil McAvoy will run the show. The sudden departure of Hervey was a shock, but that's pro sports. You know, the sun's going to rise tomorrow and the world's going to keep going and all the other teams are working. And so we need to make sure we do too so that uh, we're ready to go. When the Lions do get around to seeking a replacement, G. Roy Simon should be high on the list. He's been a scout and talent evaluator with the Lions since 2015 and is deserving of consideration to get his first shot as a CFL general manager. New England Patriots reserve offensive lineman James Ferentz tested positive for COVID-19, which forced New England to cancel practice today. Apparently, they fear a second player might also have contracted the uh, virus. As of the moment, as of this moment, their game with Denver this Sunday is still on. 
but that could change depending on what the NFL decides. Uh, because of previous positive tests, the Patriots have only practiced once this week. Joe Thornton, whose career is even longer than his beard, is going to be a Toronto Maple Leaf next season. The season, of course, is supposed to start in January. He signed a one-year deal with the Leafs for $700,000. This guy loves to play. Until the NHL season starts, he's playing in the Swiss League with Davos. He's 41 years old. He's played 22 seasons in the NF NHL. He was drafted a year before Elias Pettersson was born. That's how long he's been around. All right, on to game six of the ALCS. Tampa Bay still trying to win this thing against Houston. The Astros just won't go away. This is a team that made the playoffs because they expanded the playoffs this year. They were below 500 in the regular season, but George Springer with a base hit, scores two Astros up 2-1 in the fifth. In the sixth, Kyle Tucker is going over the wall. Solo shot, and the last time we checked, the Astros had a pretty healthy lead, 7-2 in the eighth inning. On to tennis, quarterfinal, St. Petersburg Open in Russia, Denis Shapovalov against veteran Stan Vorinka. Opening set, Shapovalov. Oh, very impressive. Wins it 6-4. Nice shirt. And in the second set, Shapovalov with the lunging return. Oh, what a finish. What a dig on he would win this in straight sets, so he's off to the semifinals, which are tomorrow. Also at this tournament, fellow Canadian Milos Ronic taking on Karen Kachanov. Ronic paints the line with a backhand here. Won the first set 6-1. Had 15 aces. Took the second set in the tie break, so he's on to the semis. If he and Shapovalov win their semifinals, it'll be an all-Canadian final. Shadow Creek in Las Vegas, North Las Vegas. Latest PGA stop, the CJ Cup, and Xander Shoffley, seven birdies on his first nine holes. So he has the lead at 14 under par. Adam Hadwin is even par. Nick Taylor, also of Abbotsford, plus one. There you go. All right, Squire, thank you. Let's check in with Ann Drua for a look ahead to Global News at 11. Ann? Thanks, Sophie. Just a week after a teenager died under mysterious circumstances at a Surrey strip mall, the police watchdog has released its report on the case. The 17-year-old suffered a fatal gunshot wound shortly after RCMP arrived to investigate a reported robbery when investigators determined from security cam video. That story and more when you join us tonight at 11 o'clock. Sophie? All right, sounds good. Thank you, Ann. Stay with us. Squire will be back with Satellite Debris next. All right, it is Friday, so we give this time to Squire. Yes, thank you very much. Um, this first one, you know how you always say, oh, that dog's hypoallergenic? This yeah. one really is because I think it's a puppet. So this is a dog I could have and never sneeze around. Here we go. said it wasn't. Well, the button eyes gave it away, I thought, uh -huh. but uh, <laughs> my kind of dog. Uh, okay, 
Uh, Kristen Bell, Kristen Bell, the actress, uh, mm -hmm. she does everything. Now she sells hand cream. What does happy dance feel like? Well, it feels like having the strength to watch the same kids movie 17 more times this week. It's a metaphor. It melts away all memories of crossing the playroom barefoot. Ouch. It's the rich, luxurious feeling of having successfully kept another person alive for four years, three months, and 26 days. Make that 27 days. Happy dance. Christy, That's I feel like funny. You, you relate to that. I don't know. Yes, absolutely <laughs> I do. All right, so you've seen at football games and baseball games that uh, they have the cardboard cutout fans. Bud Light has jumped on board, and even if you're cardboard and you're stiff, you still may want to drink a beer once in a while. But um, not seen himself. <laughs> That's hilarious. Uh, do you want to come in? <laughs> well, I mean, they're best friends, right? If your cardboard likeness came to your door looking rough, you'd invite him in. I probably, I would. probably would. Probably that's true. Except yeah. in Christie's case, I think it would be wine involved. <laughs> probably right. Okay. Final word on the weather, Christy? Sure. So a mostly dry day Saturday. Maybe a few sprinkles uh, in the afternoon, but really it's not until the evening hours that we're expecting the rainfall to push in. And it's not heavy rain, just a few showers. All right, that's all the time we have tonight. Thanks for watching. Have a great weekend.